Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for joining us today. We've got a really great show for you. I've got a guest, Emma Lowy, and she's an editor and author based in New York City. She is a senior sustainability editor at Mind Body Green. She's just written a new book, Return to Nature, the new science of how natural landscapes restore us, and is the co-author of The Spirit Almanac, A Modern Guide to Ancient Self-Care. She, her writing explores the intersection of nature, human health, and client activism, and has appeared in Grist, Bloomberg News, and Bustle, among others. Emma received her BA in Environmental Science and Policy with a specialty in Environmental Communications from Duke University. She's originally from Connecticut, where she was raised by two parents who are also journalists. Emma, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. Excited to be here. Well, I love the name of your book. You know, I love that you put science in with nature uh, because so much of of mental health, what we do at the Brain Performance Center is based on science. And I think science comes into play with everything. So what inspired you to write the book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really couldn't agree with you more. I think that you know, a lot of us sort of know intuitively that when we step outside and, you know, go into a really beautiful, pristine area in nature, we might feel better. But, you know, it turns out there's some really fascinating science to, you know, support that. So that was part of my intention with this book is just exploring what that science is. You know, I interviewed a ton of researchers who are really knee deep in this work and, you know, trying to just answer the question of why do we feel our best when we step outside? Um, So it's always just been a topic that I personally have been curious about. You know, I've always loved playing outdoors and, you know, getting outside whenever I can. Um, And I've also just found that, you know, in my work as an environmental journalist, it seems like a lot of the really incredible thought leaders and, you know, climate activists who I have the pleasure of speaking to, you know, can also point to really transformative experiences that they've had outdoors. And, you know, they really find fuel and passion to continue with their work when they step outside. So I thought it'd be interesting to explore, you know, this topic from um, from a psychological lens and, you know, also share how people can then, you know, form really rich relationships with nature and then act on them in a way to, you know, help out the planet and take some more some more climate action. So that's a little bit of my inspiration. Well, you know, it's interesting because after going through the pandemic, I really began to appreciate being able to go outdoors more. And I I look forward to that. I look forward to just going out and just sitting. I came home last night and, you know, it's only 106 in Texas, <laughs> but I, I, I'm inside all day long and the air conditioning is, you know, was blowing on me and I came home and I went and I sat in the backyard. Now I did sit in the shade. My husband opened the door. He's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I said, nothing. I just, I just need to sit out here and meditate for a few minutes. And I did. And it just, I just enjoyed listening to the birds chirping and listening to the dogs run around the yard and play. It really did have such a relaxing impact on me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, you're not alone, especially, you know, since the pandemic, I think a lot of us have really felt what it what it is like to be, you know, divorced from the outside. And, you know, it's not it's not a good feeling. So, you know, I think this is you know, something we all really, really need as people. Um, and, you know, it's important to remember, because I think it's so easy to just spend all day indoors and, you know, on your computer and not really looking up to see the world around you. So just the fact that this science exists, I think is a good, good motivation to, you know, get outside at least once a day if you're able. Well, I find it so interesting that you live in New York City. I spent 20 years in Connecticut. So, I mean, I, I've spent some time in New York City, and I know that there is a lot of green there. But, you, ha- you know, it's not everywhere. You have to know where it is and, and you have to go and search for it. So in writing the book, have you, you grew up in Connecticut, too, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Connecticut. So there's there are greeneries everywhere. I mean, it's you're just it's all around you in the city. Do you make a special point to spend so much time? Do you get outside every day? Yeah, I try to. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I I split up this book into chapters and each chapter is based on a particular landscape. So, you know, oceans, mountains, forests, things of that nature. Um, But the last chapter is actually urban landscape. So it's, you know, specifically for people who live in cities like myself and, you know, want to sort of find ways to connect with nature, even in an area that seems pretty, you know, void of it and pretty full of, you know, concrete and buildings and all that man-made stuff. Um, So I definitely think that it's sort of changed the way that I approach city living. Um, I think more than anything, I've learned to just value the the pieces of nature that I do have access to, you know, whether it's just a lone street tree, I like try to take time every day, just look at the trees and sort of get lost in their patterns. Or, you know, the, the East River is where I live in New York. So, you know, I try and look at the patterns of the waves and sort of let those be my sort of calming nature uh, piece of the day. So, you know, I think it's, it's hard living in a city because you do, like you said, you do have to be a bit more intentional about it, but I do think it's possible to reap some of these, you know, mental health benefits, um, no, no matter where you live. Well, it's interesting. So on an, when I think about urban landscapes, I mean, I can think of a lot of really attractive, I mean, just thinking of New York or downtown Dallas, I mean, Dallas has got some great sculpture. It's got some great stuff that's down there. The when the landscapes that you talked about in your book, the urban, tell me more about those. Yeah. So I think you're so right that, you know, a lot of pieces of city life can also sort of evoke, I would say, awe and wonder in a similar way that, you know, really expansive nature vistas can. There actually have been some studies to show that we, you know, feel sort of similarly at all in front of really incredible architecture, you know, really grand buildings that we do, like, say, you know, on on top of a mountain or, or something like that. So, you know, I think that you urban landscapes do bring something sort of special and unique to the table in that sense. Um, but I also think that, you know, it, they aren't necessarily always be so beautiful. It sort of depends on where you are. Um, so, yeah, there are pros and cons to city living for sure. Well, you know, I used to be such a beach person. And when, you know, when I'd go to my happy place, I'd close my eyes and I would go to the beach and, you know, I would hear the waves and hear the birds and, you know, smell the smells. And 
And then I don't know what changed, but I became a mountain, a mountain girl. And now when I go to my happy place, I go to the mountains. Is, is there any way landscapes correlate with where you are in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's really interesting to consider, and it's part of the reason why I structured the book the way I did. But just to sort of think about the landscape that you feel most connected to, and I think it might impart, you know, matter where you grew up and what you're familiar with. You know, there's a, a chapter in the book about deserts, for example. That's a landscape I don't have that much exposure to. I don't necessarily feel comfortable in a desert environment. Um, you know, I'd probably feel a bit on edge there. So, you know, that sort of might diminish some of the the mental health benefits that I take away from that from that uh, nature exposure. But I do think that you know where you grew up has something to do with it, and maybe. You know, if you had really formative, positive memories spending your summer at the beach, for example, that might be a place you feel called to. Um, But I think it's interesting to consider that, yes, it can change, you know, as you go through life and, you know, you can take a more spiritual approach to it and also think like maybe, you know, the mountain landscape just has something that I, you know, is holding a lesson that I need to internalize right now at this stage in my life or, you know, maybe it just is a place where you feel most at home and at ease in your, in yourself right now. Um, So I think that, you know, definitely it's, it's like, formative, you know, childhood is formative time for these sorts of things. But, you know, we're always changing and evolving. So it's kind of fun to think about what landscape you are at a certain point in your life. Well, it is. And I think back, you know, I have two boys that are grown and we, we went to the beach every summer. We went up to the Cape. And so for a long time, that was, those were great memories. And they always will be. But that was my happy spot. And then as they got older and they went through, you know, they went their own ways and, and one moved to Denver and I loved his first apartment looked into the mountains and I absolutely loved that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that as I've evolved in my memory, rank has evolved in my brain, my emotions have just kind of trailed along with it. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. And um, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting to consider. I think a lot of people would consider themselves beach people, at least, you know, according to like informal surveys and things like that. So I, I bet that, you know, the ocean and sort of the, the colors of the beach and the sounds and the sights, you know, are just sort of universally appealing for, for some reason. But, uh, you know, mountains have bring so much to the table, like every landscape, there's something really beautiful to see in it. So. There is. And, and, you know, when I think about spending time outdoors, I, when I go outdoors, like last night, I got home and I was just a little bit stressed out about something. So I thought, you know, I just need some fresh air. I need to clear my head. And so I, I knew in the short term that that would help me. But what about the long term? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think that you're so right that, you know, stepping outside can really quickly do things like, you know, reduce our our, um, our tendency to ruminate or, you know, sort of play negative thoughts over and over in our heads. It can be really good for relieving stress more in the moment. But, you know, it's fascinating that there are a lot of, there's a lot of, fair amount of research out there to show that it actually does have a mentally protective effect, you know, for the entire lifespan. You know, there have been really large scale studies to look at, you know, population data in a certain community you know, studying sort of rates of um, different, you know, health um, markers 
in communities and then measuring it up against how close someone lives to green space. And when I say green space, I don't necessarily mean like an expansive park. It can, you know, be just a row of, of street trees or, you know, a small pocket park. Um, and they are finding that, you know, those who live within closer access to those areas do tend to have lower rates of things like um, cardiac diseases. Um, they actually tend to just, you know, be healthier overall and have lower mortality rates even, which is pretty, you know, mind boggling to consider. Um, so I suspect it might have something to do with, you know, being outdoors does relieve stress. And we all know that being less stressed is a healthy thing for us long term. Um, so I think you really shouldn't, shouldn't underestimate the, the power and the necessity of getting outside. Well, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more because I think that we get we tend to get trapped and we get trapped in our head. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. But we get, you know, we get in our head and we can't get out of it. And we so and when we do that, we tend to socially isolate and we just kind of it becomes insular. You know, I don't want to leave my space. I, I want to stay right where I am. And during the pandemic, I could not wait Every morning, I could not wait to get up and just go walk. My gym was closed down, so I didn't have that as an option, but I could go walk. And I felt that that was, that started my day, that put me in the right headspace for the rest of the day. And since then, I have continued to enjoy just to be the ability to just go out and walk and, and it, I've even started playing golf during the <laughs> pandemic just because I want to be. It just feels good to be outdoors. Now, not so much with the golf part yet. I'm waiting for that to, to happen. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> so, but you make a good point. You know, you don't have to go on a big trip. You don't have to go to some place you've never been before to get the benefit of nature. You can just go out in your backyard and get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your point about, you know, walking and, and moving outdoors, there's also this really fascinating you know, body of research about um, green exercise is what they refer to it as. And you know, it's basically just implying that doing an exercise outdoors actually seems to be more beneficial than doing the same thing inside. And they measure that by markers of, you know, perceived exertion. So it feels easier to, you know, exercise when we're outdoors. Um, and our blood pressure actually tends to, they're finding, go down faster when we, you know, exercise outdoors versus do the same thing in the gym, for example. So, yeah, I think just, you know, moving outside, besides just, you know, offering a change of scene and, you know, providing some of that you know, a step away from your, your indoor life, um, it can be really physically beneficial in other ways, too. Well, you know, it's interesting because you, you wrote a book about it, and it sounds like you did a fair amount of research, but we don't need really research to tell us that being outside is good for us. Why do you think people will avoid going outside? Yeah, I mean, I'd say... So a few things. I mean, I, in terms of like barriers to going outdoors, you know, it's definitely the case for a lot of people don't, maybe don't, they don't feel safe going out in their community or, you know, they, they aren't healthy enough to, to physically leave. So that is totally you know, understandable and not, not something to beat yourself up about. Um, but I think, you know, some other barriers that are keeping us inside are just sort of demands for our attention, you know, things like email, tech, constant pings, 
um, just sort of, you know, taking up a lot of our brain space and making us feel like we need to stay inside to you know, get things done. And while that's, you know, sometimes the case, I think that, you know, we, we want it like keep us out of nature and maybe it also has to do with the fact that, you know, I think I'm so guilty of this too, but, you know, sometimes it feels like a big, I don't want to say commitment, but, you know, I think it's, it's a more to remember that like getting outside doesn't mean like driving to a nearby trail or, you know, going somewhere far away. It can literally just mean, you know, stepping outside of your front door, like you were, you know, discussing, it can be really just a small sort of exposure, but it can still have really, you know, incredible, incredible benefits. Um, so I would, I would definitely say that it's, it's worth it. And, you know, in terms of needing science to sort of reinforce, you know, this idea, I actually think it is super important that this research is happening just because I think that when we can really put numbers to, to, you know, what sorts of like public health benefits people can you know get with nature exposure, um, it makes a really clear case for making nature more accessible to more people and, you know, greening more neighborhoods and, you know, cleaning up local parks and really putting in place like policies that can actually make, you know, these nature exposures a right to everyone because I think everyone deserves them. Well, I think everybody needs them. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And I think of that, what it does for my mental health, just to get outside, just to breathe fresh air, feel the sun on my back, hear the animals, the birds. I even like to listen to the squirrels run around across the fence. Um, it's just, it makes me feel connected mm-hmm. in a way. So your education, I mean, you started off at looking at the environment and science and policy. So is this something that you've always been interested in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always just been, you know, interested about, you know, environmental uh, protection. Um, And, you know, I've done a lot of research on the sort of intersection of human health and the environment, both the negative. So, you know, things like climate change and how that's sort of threatening, you know, human health moving forward, but also, like the positive side of things and just the ability for, you know, well-protected, pristine nature to really, you know, make us feel our most human and most alive. Um, So I think that this book is definitely the culmination of, you know, something I've been really curious about for a long time. So when you say nature, I mean, I think of a lot, I think of trees, you've mentioned trees, I think of flowers, I think of different kinds of grass covering. Is it all the same? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I think the short answer is no. I think that, you know, again, it also sort of depends on what you bring to the experience. So if you're someone who, you know, grew up near the ocean, you might feel very comfortable there and you might have a really positive, you know, beneficial experience. Whereas if you, you know, have never been to the beach or frightened by waves and find the whole thing overwhelming, it won't necessarily feel as good to you. So I think that in that sense, it really does depend on, sort of your associations with a given place. Um, but other than that, I mean, there are some really interesting sort of distinctions between landscapes that I, I dive into a lot in the book. Um, you know, one example is, is forests. And, you know, there's this really, really cool body of research, uh, mostly in Japan right now, about forest bathing, which is it's essentially just a very mindful uh, walk through the forest. It doesn't require an actual bath. I always like to point that out. <laughs> Um, but you know, the sort of collection of trees and forests seem to have these really incredible, um, you know, benefits all their own on, you know, things like immune health and, 
um, like sleep quality after going through the forest. And so it seems to be sort of unique in that way, just having all of those trees together in sort of one little ecosystem. Um, so I think each place sort of brings its own special, special sauce to the, to the table. Um, but, you know, then again, landscapes, you know, weave in and out of each other all the time. So you can really find a lot of these things anywhere you are in nature. So I think you wrote about eight landscapes in the book, correct? Mm-hmm. So t- let's let's kind of go through those because I think everybody will, will, will hear something that they click with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first one that the first chapter is grassland. So that's sort of, you know, your typical park, um, park landscape, park area, maybe a, a garden. Um, and this is actually where a lot of the, the research um, in sort of the mental health benefits of the outdoors really started. It was on, you know, grasslands and, you know, places like this. Um, so that is one chapter. Then we have uh, the ocean chapter, which we've touched on a little bit, and then mountains, which are such a cool, such a cool landscape. Um, then forests. Uh, the next one is actually ice and snow. So this isn't necessarily a landscape on its own, but just more, you know, the the experience of stepping out into a snowy landscape and what that sort of can bring to the table. Um, then you have desert and rivers, uh, and then uh, city, city landscapes, urban landscapes. Well, you know, it's interesting. Earlier, you said I don't really, you don't really connect to the desert. Well, I don't connect to the icy. Yeah. That, that does not speak to me. That does not call me. <laughs> so when you said that, I'm like, no, I don't think so. But but we all find you're, you know, we all have our place of comfort and we go different places. But I'm just curious. Tell me more about the icy. Yeah, definitely. So I think you are really not alone in feeling a little bit, you know, ice, ice averse, shall we say. Um, you know, I think, you know, I live in the Northeast and, you know, winters can be pretty brutal and it's easy to want to, you know, stay indoors then. I think that's another thing, you know, weather keeps a lot of people inside, uh, rightfully so. But, you know, in this chapter, I explored the idea that there there hasn't been a ton of research specifically on the mental health benefits of stepping out in snow. But, you know, one one study that we do have, it, it came out of the University of Michigan, and they found that, you know, they set a, a group of participants out in, I think it was like an on-campus park or something like that, um, to go for a walk in the middle of spring, you know, beautiful sunny day. Um, and then they did the same walk in, you know, the dead of Michigan winter. Um, and they found that, you know, although the participants rated their walk, you know, they didn't enjoy their walk as much afterwards, you know, they saw some of the same cognitive benefits, um, after the experience, you know, in winter as they did in summer. So I think that's important to remember is that, you know, you might not enjoy the walk as much. You might need to go into a bit more prepared, layer up, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it can't do the same things in terms of, you know, restoring your attention and sort of helping you feel a bit more mentally clear and focused. So I think that's one really important study. Um, and then there's also just, I don't know, I think of, you know, the snowfall and, you know, a city after snow, for example, it's it's so silent and quiet in a way that's really rare and unique. I really think it's like the one time in the, you know, in the year when New York City is quiet, it's right after snow. So I think that can bring another really beautiful layer to it. And, you know, it's a real opportunity to practice, you know, mindfulness outdoors and just sort of feel that quiet, calm moment. Um, I think that's super unique and cool. 
Well, you're right, because being in the city and when it's after a big snowstorm, it is. It is so quiet and nobody's out. And it does. I can remember giving just a real sense of peace from it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, it goes back to the idea that I think so many of our indoor lives, while they might be quiet, you know, sound wise, there's always like something going on and they just feel very busy. And, you know, there's always sort of something. But, you know, this landscape, I think, is a real it really offers an opportunity for a spite that we might not get um, indoors. So I've I, too, am a little bit of a winter wimp. But after writing that chapter, I've, I've gotten a little bit better about you know, going outside in winter and really appreciating it for what it is. So I'm curious, do you talk about rain at all? Because the rain can, that is such a peaceful place for me when it's just that, not that pouring rain, but just that steady, that steady downpour where you can hear it, you can hear it coming down and at the gray skies. To me, that, that kind of puts me in, okay, this is my wind down mode. Yeah, it's interesting. There isn't a ton of research about like weather, like rain weather and things like that. But I so agree with you. And I think it it might have something to do with the sound, too. I think sounds are another, you know, fascinating thing to consider is, you know, we hear sounds in nature and whether it's the sound of rain or maybe ocean waves, these are these are sounds that are pretty universal. And we can just close our eyes, we know exactly what it is. You know, we can, you know, ease into it, it feels just very familiar to us. Um, which I think, you know, is relaxing and calming all its own. So, yeah, there's a reason that it's so easy to sleep when it's raining outside, for example. You know, it just feels very comforting, I think. Well, we've got about three minutes left before we take a break. So let's, you know, when you look at all the landscapes that you wrote about, what are your, what are your favorites? Yeah, it's so hard for me to say. I mean, I think I'll I'll go with city just because I do think it's so fascinating to consider, you know, how people, I think, you know, so many people live in cities and so many more people are going to move to them in the future. And, you know, it's interesting to think about how we can really design our cities in a way that promotes mental health and, you know, doesn't totally divorce us from, from the world outside. So I think that was definitely a fun chapter to write and that it allowed me to really, you know, ask these bigger questions of like, how can this research really be applied? You know, what can it look like to have, you know, a society that's really set up for these human nature exposures and experiences? Um, And I think just as a city dweller, it was a comforting one for me to write, um, just because it reminded me that, you know, just because I might live in a a high rise, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doomed to like, poor mental health for my whole life. You know, there are ways to to really, you know, get outside in the city and not have to wait for a weekend getaway to have a, a restorative nature experience. So I'll say that one, but of course they're all all my babies and I think that all landscapes are just fascinating well, they, to think about. They all have a spot in your heart, I'm sure. And, you know, at the right time and right place, they would all, except for the ice, I would probably be there with you. You know, I think that it's it's so interesting to note because we all come, it's where we come from. I mean, I was born and raised in Dallas. Then I went to Connecticut and that was a big jump. But a bigger jump was coming back to Dallas in June. I'll never forget the heat. So there's a lot more we can say about nature and the landscapes. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. 
We'll be back after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The New York Times reported that the benefits of eating a solid breakfast are hard to dispute. They cited emerging research that suggests another advantage to consistently eating breakfast is a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes. A study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition showed that people who skipped breakfast on a regular basis had a 21% higher risk of developing diabetes. We know that those who omit breakfast suffer setbacks in memory, mood, and energy levels. And eating the all-important first meal of the day is thought to stabilize blood sugar throughout the day. So choose a healthy and nutritious breakfast to start your day and to decrease your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back. And before break, we were talking about just how good it feels to be outside and, you know, just stand barefoot and feel the grass on your feet or the sand if you're at the beach. But let's kind of switch gears. And as good as it does feel, there's some good things happening in the brain, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been some really fascinating research that, you know, includes, you know, looking at things like MRI scans and actually studying, you know, what's really happening in the brain when we step outdoors. And I think there are a lot of, you know, unanswered questions in this space still, and researchers aren't exactly sure what the you know exact me- mechanisms are. Um, but I think some of the big sort of, you know, key findings seem to be that you know, when we step outside, um, you know, the regions of our brain that are associated with things like rumination, so sort of, you know, going over a stressful thought again and again, those seem to quiet down, um, as do just the reasons associated with stress um, in general. So it's interesting to consider. And, you know, there are two sort of main theories that, you know, might explain this sort of reaction. I think the first one uh, is more geared to sort of our attention. So it's called the attention restoration theory. And it basically says that, you know, when we're indoors, our attention is always very focused and we're always sort of, you know, moving from one task to the next without really giving our minds to take a break, the ability to take a break, so to speak. 
Um, and then when we step outside, you know, it's really a place where we can go to just let our minds relax. And, you know, we can look out onto a landscape and, you know, we're taking everything in, but it isn't as cognitively draining. Um, it doesn't require so much, you know, focus and attention. So that might be one reason that, you know, when we step outside after a busy day, when we're feeling a bit stressed, it can really feel like a relief and sort of a weight off the shoulders. Um, so that's one sort of interesting theory. And then the other one is the stress reduction theory. And this is a little bit more of a takes a little bit more of an evolutionary approach. It, it basically says that, you know, humans evolved to you know be outdoors. And we're so I think it's really written into our bones that, you know, we're, we feel comfortable in certain landscapes where we're able to, you know, see wide vistas sort of, you know, if there are any predators like we'd be able to see and, you know, there are resources available to us in the form of, you know, water and, and food and you know, so just by that very nature, it, it would make sense that when we step outdoors, we feel a little bit less stressed, you know, it gives our nervous system sort of a chance to, to relax. And, you know, we know we have everything that we that we need in that moment. So um, definitely a lot, a lot to explore and sort of the actual like mental mechanisms at play here. Well, and you know, when we take a walk outside, your brain start anytime you're exercising, your brain starts producing endorphins. And endorphins are neurotransmitters, and they make you feel good. So being outside, I think, helps that brain to produce the endorphins. And I think the other thing that it does is, you know, I, there's all kinds of theories on, you know, the gut is your second brain, the heart is your second brain. But I do think that being outside is good for your heart. Mm, yeah, definitely. That makes sense to me. Um it also just, I think, it, you know, there's some research to show, and I know this is certainly true in my own life, but I think being outdoors also makes it easier to connect with people. You know, when you're meeting someone new in an outdoor environment, I just think it immediately brings down, you know, a barrier and, you know, you're sort of both, you know, a little bit more at ease. Um, and, you know, we all know that connection and, you know, interpersonal relationships are so important for mental health. So that could have something to do with it, too. Oh, Absolutely. And, you know, I think that when I go outside, that is the one time where my brain, I can turn my brain off so quickly mm -hmm. and I go outside and it's just like it, it flips the switch. Okay. You know, it's good out here. Just relax, Lee. Don't worry about it. And I don't, but I've even seen some studies that show being outside, you know, can lower the, the levels of like type 2 diabetes and asthma and, and stroke. So, I mean, I think that there's so much that we're not, that we're missing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's still a very, you know, it's this research has been going on for probably 30 or so years. Now. I think it really picked up in, you know, the 1980s, late 1980s. Um, but there's still so much we have to learn, you know, and that's what keeps it really exciting. And you know, it's interesting to consider to, you know, the researchers in this space, a lot of them are, you know, psychologists, but not all of them are, you know, I've, I've spoke to people in my book who were, you know, epidemiologists really focused on that sort of physical, you know, aspect of being outdoors, um, even like horticulture, horticultural therapists really study like how plants can, you know, make us feel differently. So it's really interesting very interdisciplinary space. And I think that that, you know, really makes it so rich to consider and you can really come at it from so many different angles. Well, it's just listening to you talk about the different people that you spoke with. I'm like, I'm, yeah, there's so many different ways to look at nature. There is certainly 
a, a lot of different ways. What did you find, you know, from the different people that you interviewed? What segment did you learn the most from? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, so I, I spoke with a lot of researchers, like I mentioned, but then I also uh, spoke to people who are really, let's say, like putting this research into practice, so to speak. So people who just spend a lot of time outdoors for one reason or another and have a really special relationship to their sort of chosen landscape. So, you know, one example that comes to mind is for the winter chapter, I spoke with a lot of, um, most of them are actually women, but a lot of women who were either skiers or figures like figure skaters who skate actually on you know ice outdoors um or you know people who have I spoke to a woman who had done this crazy walk um on Antarctica like just these really really intense you know exposures to snow and ice and cold and just hearing their perspective on it was so fascinating again as someone who doesn't particularly love the cold you know just hearing them talk about yes, like this is maybe an uncomfortable landscape, but, you know, once you push through that discomfort, I think it has, it. they, you know, framed it as it just has so much to offer you and you can like really sort of conquer that, that pain and that fear um, and really just find a reward on the other side. So, yeah, I think just speaking to really incredible like outdoor adventurers, like really changed my perspective on you know, nature and just life in general and sort of the importance of, you know, pushing yourself and taking risks and, you know, just letting yourself be like vulnerable in an outdoor environment was super inspiring to me. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I was thinking about little kids and all that's all my kids want to do is go outside. And when I think, you know, from a therapy standpoint, I think about play therapy with little kids. Did you see any research that talked about, you know, play therapy out outside play therapy with young kids yeah so it's interesting I didn't do it I didn't see a ton of research on play therapy in particular but you know I have read some you know books sort of geared towards this topic um Last Child in the Woods by Richard Loops is really fascinating you know look at sort of children's desire to play outdoors and you know our increasing sort of separation between children and, and the outdoors and you know, I think in my, in my mind, kids are really a great demonstration of like our natural just inclinations. And, you know, a lot of kids have such, like you said, a burning desire to just explore and, you know, everything in nature is sort of new and interesting to them. And, you know, I think that we adults would, would benefit from taking sort of a similar perspective and, you know, just heading out into nature to like find something new and let ourselves feel, you know, wonder for the for the world around us. I think it's something that we do less and less of as we get older, but I think it's so beneficial. Oh, I think we do too. And I hear about these these programs where you just you're dumped in a desert um, and you have to figure out how how to survive. And the people that do them talk about they don't talk about how awful it was. They talk about how wonderful it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, granted, I think that that is an extreme, extreme case, but it's, you know, it's just a testament to the fact that like, you know, it's, it's this phrase is said a lot, but, you know, it's true. I think, you know, we are nature and, you know, when we sort of divorce ourselves from nature, I think it just does our uh, disservice. You know, we, we are, we feel comfortable in these environments, you know, we are these environments. Well, when you, you know, your book, when people read your book, what do you want them 
to walk away with? Do you want them to change their life? Do you want them to start going outside a lot more? I mean, what do you hope that they'll do? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I would love for someone to read the book and just walk away with it with the perspective of, you know, wherever they may live, whatever sort of nature they have access to, I'd love for them to just feel inspired to spend more time in it and not, you know, discount its real necessity. Um, You know, not to say that nature is like a commodity or anything like that. I don't think nature exists for, you know, human, human benefit, but it's just important, especially, you know, in today's day and age, I think, you know, we just spend so much time indoors and on our screens. And I think the more that we do that, the more we disconnect ourselves from nature, just the worse off we are as people, both because of our mental health. And then, you know, the other sort of aspect that I explore in the book is just that when we spend more time outdoors, you know, it helps us really feel connected to nature and more inclined to live in a way that protects it. So yeah, I would love for people to just want to go outside more wherever they might live. um, And also just take more actions to, you know, protect the landscapes that they have access to and, you know, live in a really more environmentally conscious way. You know, I've always wondered people that are that are they're restricted with where they live. Would would having house plants improve their mood? Yeah, so it's interesting. I have a ton of house plants and I've always I've always loved them and I think they bring a nice happy some greener to my, my apartment. Um but yeah, actually I spoke with one uh as I mentioned a horticultural therapist who actually works in New York City at NYU. Um, and he's done some really fascinating research actually in, you know, a hospital setting to show that, uh, he works mostly with cardiac patients with people who are recovering from like cardiac surgery. Um, and he did one study that actually found that, you know, patients who have a horticultural therapy program, so that's just, you know, planting things, having plants in their room, you know, touching different plants, um, actually tended to recover faster than those who did not. Um, so I do think that there's something, there's something to, yeah, having houseplants and, you know, I think any little relic of nature that you can bring inside would be helpful, whether it's a plant or maybe, you know, a photo of your favorite landscape that maybe you don't get out into as often, but really love, uh, a water feature to bring some of those sort of soothing noises into your home when you, when you need them, um, you know, just natural woods and, you know, it can be simple, but I think any way we can find to like really connect with nature from indoors is also helpful and even if it's just looking out the window like you know instead of uh looking at your phone when you're taking a break from work just you know stand in front of your window look outside onto you know a tree or any sort of you know natural sort of landscape and then there has been research to show that in as little as like 40 seconds I think it was it can have sort of a cognitively restorative benefit versus the phone which is just like so draining you know, I wonder why we don't use plants in at places like federal prisons or mental health hospitals. It's such a low cost intervention. Yeah, I so agree with you. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, there have been a few like, hospital projects that I've reported on that do, you know, take a more sort of like biophilic approach. They bring in more sort of, you know, aspects of of nature and you know they've they've really shown that it can be so 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 beneficial not just for the patients but for the staff and um i definitely think it, it doesn't happen nearly enough have you seen any uh research at all about the you know, people that are incarcerated prisons or 
Because to me, I think that that would just, you know, that would brighten up the place. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen any studies that have been conducted in prisons, but I think that that is so fascinating to consider. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, I think any environment where you're really cut off from, like, nature and just surrounded by concrete, it's hard to be, like, your best self in that space, so... Well, and it's, and it's hard to feel that you're, I would think it would be hard to feel like you're really part of the world around you, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm, I'm here. This is, this is where all I see, all I feel, all I do. So there's for any listeners out there, there's some ideas on how to improve the, the federal prison systems yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. that really, it's sometimes it's just simple, just that the simplest things then can pro- provide the biggest impact. So, you know, for people that you've talked a lot about living in a city and, and you make a lot of effort to weave nature into your daily day. I mean, it sounds like that you you talked about, you know, what streets have the trees on them and you kind of know where to go. How does somebody that maybe they just end up in a city they just end up in New York or, or Chicago or any big city and they're overwhelmed and they tend to just kind of isolate. What tips would you have for them to bring nature into their lives? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, I think that one practice that I've personally really enjoyed weaving into my life and, you know, I think can be very beneficial is um, this idea of just adopting a different perspective when you go on your walk. So this would be perfect for someone who lives in a city um, and sort of maybe goes on a similar route every day and feels a little bit, you know, bored of it uh, a little bit like they've seen it all. Um, So adopt a new perspective. So that can look like, you know, maybe one day you pretend that you are an artist and you're looking out for, you know, a new color palette to to use to paint your next work, or uh, maybe you're a poet and you're looking for your next sort of muse to write about, or, you know, just taking on that different perspective. And I think that this is really beneficial for a few reasons. You know, first of all, it can do, it can do the job of sort of, again, like you, like you so eloquently put it, just sort of you know, letting us just like shut down and let go of the stresses of our our normal life and take on sort of a different perspective, I think it's always super helpful and can just, you know, help us approach things with, I think, a a more sort of steady point of view. Um, But it also opens us up to like seeing things we might not have otherwise seen, which I think is incredibly important. Um, You know, one sort of emotion that I was super fascinated to write about in this book was the emotion of awe. Um, and I think awe tends to really come to us when we are seeing, um, even if it's something we've seen before, it's, you know, if we look at it from a different perspective, it can have that sort of awe-inspiring, um, you know, impact on us. So, you know, taking on a new perspective whenever you can, I think is, is really great. Um, if you live in a place that has seasons, I also think it can be really nice to sort of revisit, you know, a, a spot every day. So maybe it's a certain tree or, know, a certain patch of grass and just see what's changing as the year goes on. And that can just be a beautiful reminder that, you know, things are always shifting outside of you. Things are always moving and happening. Um, and there's this whole world that's really playing out um, that you are a part of. So I think that can be a really nice practice, too. I agree with you. And it just that that emotion, that awe emotion. How often do we get to experience that? 
Not not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. I mean, I think it's it's always so interesting, and it's the the um, the topic of a lot of research right now. And you know, the reason that I think a lot of you know psychologists are so interested in it is, uh, it typically tends to come to us when we're faced with like a vast stimulus or something that's sort of beyond our comprehension. You know, something new. Um, so that can be you know a, a mountain view or you know a uh, sort of like vista that has a really, you know, beautiful, awe-inspiring, you know, jaw-dropping sort of scene, but it can also come in the form of, you know, music or, you know, art or just, you know, beautiful performance. Um, just anything that sort of makes us feel small, I think is really what it is, feel small um, and like we're part of something larger. And, you know, researchers are continuing to find that this emotion of awe you know, in making us feel a little bit smaller, it can actually sort of change the way that we see the world. It can open us up to new perspectives and ideas. And um, it actually promotes things like creativity, um, as well as pro-social thinking. So just stepping outside of yourself and sort of, you know, thinking about how others might be, you know, perceiving things or just having a little bit less of that, like, narrow focus. And I think that's sort of a theme you know, with a lot of this research is that's what nature really seems to help us out with. So that you've written your first book. Do you have plans to, to carry on along that that theme, um, returning to nature? Or do you feel like you've made your statement with this book? <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely, you know, I consider it sort of my life's work to, to write about the environment and to, you know, explore all the various ways that people, you know, interact yeah. with it for better or worse. Um, so I definitely plan to continue, not sure what my next sort of project will be, but, you know, I'm always, I'm always learning and I think it's so fun to just, you know, consider this, this issue that everyone has their own sort of perspective on. And, um, I think it's something that I can never get bored of, of doing. Well, and I think there's a whole with, with the climate activism, there's a whole lot that needs to be done for climate control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, like that was one of the main sort of drivers for me writing this book was just the idea that like, I think a lot of the best climate actions and a lot of people who really inspire me in the space, like they're acting from a place of love for the planet, not necessarily a place of like fear or doom, like yes, that plays into it at times. But, you know, I think the more that we can really forge connections with the world around us, like the more able we will be to take actions to protect it that are very heartfelt and personal to us and really, you know, utilize our unique skill set. So I, so, yeah. Am I hearing you say that nature needs us as much as we need nature? <laughs> I mean, right now, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good way. It's a good way to put it. I think that, yeah, I mean, we, we all need to, I think it's, it's all about reciprocal, like having a reciprocal relationship, right? Like we, I, I would hate for the message that people take away from this book is like, oh, nature, you know, has all this to offer me and I can just take and take and take and not give anything back. Like, I, I think that it's important to sort of think about it as a relationship. And, you know, nature does so much for us every day, as we've you know discussed. So, you know, what are we doing for it is always an important question to ask. So how would you describe your relationship with nature? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think nature is just the inspiration for a lot of my work. And, you know, it's always been just sort of like the focus of my writing. So, 
yeah, I sort of hope that that's my contribution as I'm, you know, I'm someone who was raised by two journalists. I've always really loved writing and, you know, considered that to be my main, you know, skill I can bring into the world. So, you know, I try and write about the environment as a way to just sort of say, you know, thank you and you know, help, um, help other people, you know, consider their own relationship and what their own sort of like thing could be that they could do to help, uh, help pull this movement forward. So do you have any point in time in memory where being outside or being in nature really did something for you, really helped you get through something, or just really kind of provided a relief that nothing else had? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I would say one thing that sort of comes to mind Um as I did, I also do a fair amount of work in sort of like the spirituality self-care space. And a few years ago, before the pandemic, I was on a like spiritual retreat um, in Costa Rica. And one of the days of the retreat was actually um, sort of a modified like day of silence. So we weren't supposed to speak to other people. Um, we had signs that said people shouldn't speak to us, like really just a silent day. Uh, we weren't allowed to, you know, read or, or do anything, any sort of form of entertainment. We're really just supposed to sit with ourselves, uh, which was terrifying to me at the start because I had never done anything like that before. And I thought I would feel so, you know, incredibly alone. And, you know, I thought I'd just be so in my head and I'd freak out. Um, but it was actually the best experience. And I really think it was because I was in Costa Rica surrounded by water and trees. And I just had such a vivid memory of feeling like I wasn't alone. Like I was surrounded by so much, you know, activity and beauty. And I think that experience really changed a lot for me just in terms of like feeling more connected and feeling like I always was surrounded by, you know, this force that was really could bolster me up, even if I was, you know, physically not speaking to other people. So that was a great experience. Well, that's a, that's a unique story. You know, you couldn't really tap into what's going on with everybody else and you had to go tap into yourself. And thank you for sharing that. We've got a couple of minutes left and I'd like to, where is your book? Where can people find you? Um, where are you? I, I know you're out there on the internet somewhere. Where are you? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, people can find my book wherever books are sold, hopefully return to nature. So it's called again. Um, and then my website is just my name, emmaloey.com. Uh, and I do, I'm an editor at Mind Body Green. So you can head over to Mind Body Green to check out most of my recent uh, writing. So in Emma Lowy, that's E M M A L O E W E.com. Yes, correct. And then you also do something on Muckrack. Oh, yeah. So you can see a lot of my uh, recent articles in Muckrack. That's just sort of an aggregate for like journalism. Um, oh, I also have an Instagram, which is E-M-M-L-O-E-W-E uh, -E -E is my handle. Great. Well, you know, I can't thank you enough for being with me today and sharing, you know, the science behind the nature. I certainly appreciate it from a mental health perspective. I understand what it does for the brain, releasing endorphins, I understand, which are neurotransmitters that make you feel good. And I think that we just need to really put it, put, get the message out there that says, it, if you care for yourself, self-care is important. One of the easiest things that you can do is walk outside. You don't have to go 
to Seattle. You don't have to, that for me, that's across the country. You don't have to go across the ocean. It can be quite as simple as walking out your door and heading in the direction where you see trees. So anything you'd like to add in the last few seconds? No, I think you just summed it up really beautifully. Thank you so much, Lee, for having me. Well, thank you for being with me. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Center.com.